episode 21. This is Ansley. And this is Brittany. <laughs> it's different every single week. Okay, so we have some stuff to talk about. First and foremost, we have a new intern, Hannah, and she's great. And she'll be at the meetup. So yeah. if you guys want to meet her, well, hopefully she'll be at the meetup. Um, if you guys want to meet her, she'll be there. And also one other thing that I have is the new t-shirt design that everyone saw on Facebook and Instagram. We will hopefully be debuting that at our ATL meetup. And if you're in Atlanta, we really want to see you. So I think I announced like the address and the location and the time last episode. So yeah, I'm not going to do did. that again until we get closer. Because I, how many weeks away? Like two weeks? Um, by the time this comes out. A week and a half. Yeah, like a week and a half away. Holy moly. Okay, it's getting close. We're so ready to see you guys. Do you have anything you need to talk about, Bernie? Um, I don't think so. Keep sending good vibes. You guys, you know that we've been posting in the discussion group talking about Mercury being in retrograde. That bitch yes. is still in it. So we are still going through it, and I know that everyone else is too, so we're sending you good vibes. We need you guys to send us good vibes, because Ansley and I are losing it. Slowly and surely, I'm losing it. Yeah, so send us the good vibes. Um, I think that's all I had to say. Well, that was perfect. Um, Okay, so this story today is kind of like really long. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Um, it's a lot of he said, she said, so it can be all over the place. And yeah, so I'll just get started. Okay, so I'm ready. I'm so glad you're ready. So <laughs> this story grabbed media attention for years, but it is the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Oh, <gasps> I almost did this one, Ansley. No way. Yes, I did. I almost did it um, around spring break. That's so crazy. I started doing it and I was like, should I rethink this? Because this is so crazy. It was yeah, so long a- and it's a lot of information and it's a lot of he said, she said. So I just hope that it's in the best format for this podcast. This is one of those like, it's so well known, but not like the facts of the case. I don't think are that well known, but it's so well known, like in every household. I can't tell you how many times I heard like, the like parents. if I was, yes, like all the, everybody's parents, I know mine were always like, if I was going on a beach trip with friends, they were always like, make sure to do this and make sure you don't do this. Just remember that Natalie Holloway girl. And I was like, exactly. I know. <laughs> exactly. I, I just remember like my parents would turn on, you know, like the nightly news or whatever before we went to bed and her parents would always be on there like crying and just wanting Natalie to come home. So I just remember it as being one of those cases throughout my childhood that never really went away. I just always remember thinking about it. And because there's really no information on where Natalie is or where her body is, um, it's just kind of stuck with everybody. It's so sad. Yeah, it's very sad. So, like I said, the story has grabbed media attention for years, even after Natalie went missing. Um, There's an Oxygen TV network documentary, and there's tons of criticism involving the Aruban police. There's also been tons of, like, media coverage through the outlets. And being a young girl and interested in true crime, I just, like I said, remembered the nightly news. And always the picture of Natalie, just kind of her like senior picture. That was the one picture that I always saw. Mm -hmm. Like I can picture it right now. Exactly. It's so crazy. So I thought it was time for me to take everyone back to 2005 and recount the story of 18 year old Natalie Holloway. Natalie was born in October of 1986 in Clinton, Mississippi to David and Elizabeth Holloway. Her parents had two children and she was the eldest of the two children. In 1993, her parents got divorced and she primarily lived with her mom and younger brother. In 2000, her mom got remarried to George Twitty. During all this, this led Natalie and her younger brother to move to Mountain Brook, Alabama to live with her mom and her new stepdad. Natalie was a part of the National Honor Society and participated on a dance team at Mountain Brook High School. She was known to be super intelligent and graduated with honors in 2005. So I was doing some research and stumbled upon a home video of Natalie in this car and she seemed to be just so sweet and she was actually really funny. Um, Most of her friends called her Hootie, which I thought that was really cute. Um, That is really cute. 
yeah, she just seems to be like this girl that has like that southern charm, you know, and she had her little accent and I don't know, she just seems like a, seems like a really great girl. So Natalie planned on attending the University of Alabama on a full ride scholarship and she was going to be a doctor, which more power to you because I couldn't do it. Right, especially on a full ride scholarship. Like, that's amazing. She like she's so smart. So on May 24th, 2005, Natalie graduated from Mountain Brook High School. And just like many of us do, she decided before her schooling got serious, she would celebrate her graduation with a trip to Aruba with her graduating class. Also, her parents paid for this whole trip. Knowing what we all know, I feel so bad for them knowing that they paid for this trip. And like, they probably feel so much guilt. Wait. They paid for her or they paid for the trip for everybody? No, they paid just for her. I was about to, to go say on that trip. is no, hella no, money. No, no, no. no. they okay. just paid for her <laughs> to go on the trip. I got you. So on Thursday, May 26, 2005, the trip was planned to be a five-day vacation in Aruba. She arrived in Aruba with around 130 other graduates. They planned to have a great time and celebrate their new life event of graduating. These kids, you know I look back and think I might have known what I was doing at 18, but absolutely not. I feel like everyone's like that too. They're like, I just graduated. You know, I'm about to have this cool new life with no parents. I'm going off to college. I know what I'm doing, but that's not the case at all. There were chaperones on this trip. In the research that I read, there are about seven adults to 130 teenagers, which bless because I couldn't have done that, especially with the drinking age being 18 in Aruba and 130 kids. That's insane. The fact that that many students could afford to go to Aruba, I'm like, I'm so <laughs> like, I know that, that is that was not even like a thought at my high school that oh, we could no. all go on a or I mean, we had 420 kids, but so like not all of us if it's only 130. But that's a lot of people who can afford to go to Aruba. And that like was not even a thing. It was like at the end of high school, everybody's like, okay, we'll never talk to each other again. Bye. Exactly. I went on like a spring break cruise to the Bahamas, but there was only about 15 people that went in my and it was like my senior year. So it wasn't everybody because I think mine was close to 400 too. But also Mountain Brook High School was known to be I think it was a private school. So I can see them having a little bit more um, extra spending money to do things like that. Yeah. So during these five days, not much is really available for me to tell you guys about, maybe because nobody really expected for this to happen at the end of their trip. And after they got home, all they could talk about was how Natalie went missing. But I do know that the chaperones would meet up with the students every day to make sure none of of them were missing and they were all being responsible and everybody was in check. So of course, as we all know, teenagers will do what they want to do, especially on vacation. And like I said, Aruba's drinking age is 18. Um, The package deal that the students got with their trip included an unlimited amount of alcohol, which for 18 years old, I'm like, red flag, red flag. (laughs) I feel like I should take a trip to Aruba. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) I know. I'm sure they were wild. Oh, yeah. It had to have been insane. The Holiday Inn that they were staying at actually claimed that there were wild parties, tons of drinking, which what more do you expect? The chaperones were told by the Holiday Inn that they were not allowed to come back next year with the next graduating class. That's how bad it was. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) As I can only imagine. So on May 30th, 2005, Natalie and her friends decided to have one last outing before heading home and returning back to normal life. Their first stop that night was to a casino. Now, Natalie is seen on CCTV footage walking around the casino. So she, we know that she's there and fine in that moment. She seems perfectly normal and she's talking with friends. She walks up to like a blackjack table and talks to some people there. And some of her friends claim that while in Aruba, they met a 17-year-old guy named Urin. It's, it's spelled J-O-R-A-N, but it's pronounced Urin. Oh, okay. Urin Vandersloot and his two friends, Deepak, Kalpo, who was 21, and Satish Kalpo, who was 18, and obviously they're brothers, as mm-hmm. you can tell by the last name. <laughs> From now on, you guys understand, I'm going to call Urin Vandersloop. So after the casino, they all went to this 
touristy bar called Carlos and Charlie's, which is just a famous tourist attraction. And by multiple accounts, they actually went there several times during their vacation. Natalie is seen by multiple people leaving the casino to go to Carlos and Charlie's. But the last sighting of Natalie is around 1.30 a.m. on the early morning of May 30th. When she was leaving Carlos and Charlie's, she actually met up with a friend and they were going to get some food together. And this is one of her girlfriends that she like graduated with. So they're at this little stand getting food. And the next thing her friend notices is that Natalie is in the car with Vandersloot and the two Calpo brothers. And she's just leaving. So when Natalie didn't show up for the bus that was going to take them to the airport that morning, people knew that this wasn't like her. She was super punctual. And even in a TV interview, her dad was like, this was not like Natalie. Everybody knew that something was wrong because she was always on time. I mean, she wanted to be a doctor Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't how Natalie operated. So students and chaperones thought this was probably just some weird incident that maybe she was hungover or she just didn't get enough sleep because, I mean, she was leaving the bar at 1.30. And they thought that maybe she just overslept, which in my mind is definitely a possibility. So when the chaperones went to her room at the hotel, they found a packed luggage and a passport with no sight of Natalie. They knew that this wasn't just some sleep oversleeping or maybe she was getting some breakfast down in the lobby. They knew that Natalie was absolutely missing. The whole island was searched and the water surrounding the island was searched. So Natalie's parents found out that Natalie was missing and hadn't returned back to her hotel. Natalie's mom somehow had some video of the few guys that Natalie left Carlos and Charlie's with and showed it to the Holiday Inn manager after they arrived um, to the island. And this is so strange to me because immediately this night manager was like, yeah, I know him. I know Vandersloot. He's known around the island for picking up girls and taking them places just to like take advantage of them. Oh, yikes. Yeah. So the fact that this Holiday Inn night manager knows who this is, is just absolutely incredible to me. So one thing that makes me absolutely bananas is that Aruban police didn't declare Natalie an official missing person until 48 hours had passed without any sight of Natalie. And I am a watcher of the first 48, and everybody knows that in those first 48 hours, they are crucial to the case. Yeah, isn't that like the first 48 is like the time that you're most likely to either find the person or find something that will possibly lead you to them? Yes. And that's why I'm just like 48 hours seems a little excessive to me. And I mean, like, I know they were looking for her, you know, right as she disappeared. But the thing is, is like they they didn't even like, you know, tell anybody about it. And normally, you know, we have those like Amber Alerts or whatever. I don't know if she would have been considered an Amber Alert, which I guess that's only in, in the United States. But yeah, I'm sure they have some form of like getting the message out about a missing person. So, so they didn't do that for the first 48 hours. But in America, it's after 24 hours that someone's missing, right? That's when exactly. they start looking for them here. Yeah, exactly. So think, as far as I know. That. Yeah. Think about that. That's half of your time taken up. I just think of like, there's a lot to happen or a lot could happen in those first 48 hours. I mean, you can kill somebody, you can hide a body, you can get rid of all the evidence, you can make up a story. It's just like, it just seems excessive to me. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of time to brainstorm about your alibi and all those things. But I don't know. It, it's something that I struggle with. And it's so funny that we're talking about this now because I, I was literally thinking about this the other day about how here we wait 24 hours to look for people. And those 24 hours can be detrimental to a case. Exactly. But at the same time. It's a lot of police resources, too. Yeah, it's. And they probably, I mean, I'm sure most, most like police departments and sheriff's offices don't really have the resources to go look for every single person that goes missing right as they go missing. And I mean, I hate to say it, but with some cases, it's not that people are actually missing. It's just people think that they're missing and they're they're not actually missing. So now those resources have been used to when find someone been doing who, other things. who wasn't missing in the first place. Yeah. And I know it's kind of like you just want to be cautious and, and look for them anyway. But I don't know. I struggle with it. But yeah. Okay. So 48 hours in um, Aruba, that really sucks. 
Yeah, I know. Another thing that is along those lines is like this was a vacation island. People, you know, go down there just for like tourism or whatever. And so I can also see the other side of it where like maybe she wasn't ready to leave. Maybe she was just, you know, like hanging out and whatever. So I can see that side, too. Yeah. So we've all seen this. Or if you're a little bit younger, maybe you haven't. But Natalie's parents make pleas to the public for someone to come forward. I just those are engraved in my brain forever. Yep. Natalie's mom even said that she wasn't going to leave Aruba without her daughter. So Aruban police find Vandersloot and ask him about Natalie. And one, he straight up lies. He tells police that he doesn't know who Natalie is. Doesn't even know her name. He's shown a picture of her and it's like, yeah, I, I don't know that girl, which is bull crap. Yeah. So... As police push a little bit more, he says Natalie wanted to go see sharks. So he took her to a lighthouse where apparently you can see sharks. And then he took her to this beach. Shortly after that, which was around 2 a.m., Vandersloot dropped her off at the hotel and Natalie was seen going in with a security guard. Now, we know that this is also a lie because, you know, the footage from the hotel doesn't show any signs of Natalie even coming back to the hotel. But the Calpo brothers, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say, can we just backtrack for a second? Because I was just thinking about this as you said it. He said Natalie wanted to go see sharks. So he took her to a lighthouse where you can see sharks. Okay, now tell me out of all the times you've been to the beach, how many times have you seen sharks just swimming around? Never. But apparently, like when I was doing some research, apparently this is a known lighthouse where you can see sharks. Oh, I don't, or are they I don't, dolphins? Because they're probably freaking dolphins. I don't know. This guy's a liar throughout the whole entire case. So I, don't, I really don't believe anything that he says. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. It, it, like, and who, not, I mean, not that like, who cares about sharks? Like, I do care about sharks and I care about their treatment. So like, don't get me wrong. But who's like, I came to the beach to see sharks. So like, if you want to see exactly. sharks, go to the aquarium. <laughs> Exactly. So the Calpo brothers actually backed up Vandersloot's story and they said, yeah, we dropped her off and she was fine when we last saw her. No big deal. But like I said, the video surveillance from the hotel spoke a different story because nowhere on the footage was Natalie Singh being returned to the hotel. So Vandersloot released a statement to police that said Deepak Sadish. Natalie and I drove to my house. When we arrived there around 1.40 a.m., I asked Natalie what she wanted to do. I wanted to have sexual relations with her and afterwards call a taxi to take her back to her hotel, which freaking F-boy to the max. Yeah. And also, um, Deepak and Sadish are the two brothers, just to let you know, because I know I call them by um, their last names. So on June 5th, police made a weird arrest. Two security guards who worked at a nearby hotel were arrested on suspicion over murder and kidnapping of Natalie, which I'm like, where do they even come into play? Like, there's three guys that were last seen with her, and you're going to arrest these two security guards that were literally at a different hotel that have nothing to do with this? Apparently, these two guards were known to cruise around and pick up women, which that doesn't mean that they picked up Natalie. So I'm so confused why this happened. But both of them were eventually released, and I would be so pissed if I were those guys. Oh, yeah, 100%. So on June 9th, Vandersloot and the two Calpo brothers were arrested in order to keep the three police. Wait, hold on, shit. On June 9th, Vandersloot and the two Calpo brothers were arrested. But in order to keep the the three, police had to have more evidence which they didn't, so they had to release all three of them, even though at this point, circumstantial evidence makes them our biggest suspects, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, that's really frustrating. I know, but, you know, circumstantial evidence doesn't prove 100% that they kidnapped and killed Natalie. Right. So on June 17th, a local disc jockey by the name of Steve, and I know I'm not pronouncing his last name right, but I'm just going to pronounce it like I read it. I think it's Croez. I don't know. Steve Croez was detained because he came forward and told police that he saw Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers drop Natalie at the front doors of the Holiday Inn, which we all know isn't true because of the video footage. That night, he even claimed to fall asleep on a boat after a long night of being a DJ, but the owner of the boat said, no, that's not true. Steve wasn't even working that night. So another red flag. Why are you going to 
why are you going to like create an alibi? But then you were at the Holiday Inn and then you didn't even work that night. I don't know. Strange. You know that funny video that's like, why the f- you lying? Yes, that's so funny. (laughs) Because I feel like that applies here. Well, it's funny because in my note, I put in all caps, I was like, Steve, quit your lying. And then I put in parentheses, I put in Barb voice from Teen Moms. I I don't know what that is. You don't know who Barbara from Teen Moms is? Um, It's Janelle's mom? No, I stopped watching after the first season. Oh my God, you guys, she does not know who Barb is. That is freaking crazy. Okay. Well, Well, you don't know who the Jonas brothers are. I, okay. Well, still, (laughs) oh my God, I can't even with you right now. So anyways, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm literally going to inbox you the Barb video and then you're going to know. Okay. So (laughs) owners of Charlie and Carlos actually put him right in the bar with Vandersloot the night that Natalie went missing, which why, why, why is he lying about this? There's something that he's covering up now. Okay. I didn't know how to pronounce, um, Vandersloot's dad's name. So I'm going to call him father Vandersloot. Okay. It just sounds convenient. Baby Vandersloot. Are you following me? Baby Vandersloot. <laughs> Are you following me? I am. You're on Vandersloot, a.k.a. Baby Vandersloot. Yes. His dad, Father Vandersloot, was mm-hmm. now... I can't stop loving. I can't stop loving. I'm going to okay. hold it together because this is not like, funny. There's Father Time, Father Christmas, Father Vandersloot. Yes, there's Baby Vandersloot and there's Father Vandersloot. So now Father Vandersloot was now being looked into because apparently he has some ties to the mafia. Their little theory was that Baby Vandersloot, or Euron, roofied her and maybe overdosed her and Natalie might have died. And so then Baby Vandersloot was like, let me call my dad to get rid of her body, which is extremely sad. Like, just call the police. You would have served less time for calling the police and, like, admitting to roofing her mm-hmm. than murder. Yep. So, I really don't know if there's any hard evidence about Vandersloot's dad and him being involved in the mafia, but he was definitely on police's radar. So, on June 26, Vandersloot's father, Father Vandersloot, was detained in question, and later both Steve and Croes, the DJ, and Father Vandersloot were released. As all this is happening, Natalie is still nowhere to be found, and tons of finger pointing started and stories started being changed, which is so freaking frustrating to me. I hate someone who changes a story and also points the finger at somebody else. Yep. Don't like those people. The minute that they start changing the story, you're like, you're guilty as hell. Like, if you're going to change your story, you're guilty. And it, it, like when people change their story, it just makes me think of the victim's family and what they're going through and how the story has changed. And they've had to deal with that every exactly. single time it's been changed. And it's like, OK, so what happened? Exactly. And the fact that like he, he's been released from anything. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it's so frustrating. I can only imagine for like people who actually knew Natalie. Yeah, that would have been so, super frustrating. So Satish Calpo's attorney tells the investigators that Natalie and Vandersloot were dropped off at a Marriott hotel near some fishing huts. When Satish received a text that Vandersloot was walking home about 40 minutes later around 4.30 a.m., Now, fishermen were there that night in these fishing huts, and they were there in the early mornings around 4.32, and they contradict baby Vandersloot's story. They say they would have noticed someone, especially a girl left alone, if that had actually happened. I think their quotes exactly were something like, we didn't see anything, and if we did, then we're blind, deaf, and like whatever mute like they didn't they were like there was nobody there besides people who were actually fishing oh I got you okay when you first said it I took it like a I don't know like almost like they they were saying like oh well if someone was there then we didn't see it like 
like yeah like almost like covering for him yeah so at first I was like assholes but no no they were like I get it yeah they were like nobody was there besides the people that were supposed to be there or had been there the whole entire time and they would have noticed if somebody else was there especially a woman at those hours in the morning you know yeah not that she isn't allowed to be there but that that's just out of the ordinary for them So a few days, actually nine days before Natalie went missing, a woman named Tracy was there on vacation, and she was actually near those huts in the early morning going for a walk on the beach. A nude man pulled up in a car and left his car doors open and his car running, and he actually tried to get her inside of the car. Now, she doesn't know what he was going to do to her, but some few people down the beach actually noticed that she was struggling. And they came up to her and the guy fled off. But before he fled off, he threatened to kill her. And then um, he just kind of left. So that was actually a theory that could have happened to Natalie if she was, in fact, near those fishing huts, which also is contradicted, like I said, by the fishermen. Vandersloot, of course, changes his story another time and says that he took Natalie to his house and she was driven away by the Calpo brothers. So here's that finger pointing that I was talking about. It's everywhere. I mean, can this guy just stick to his story? That's all I'm asking. So on July 25th, I just feel so bad for Natalie's poor parents. They offered a $1 million reward for the return of Natalie. Wow. Yeah. Nothing really happens for a year after Natalie vanished, and Vandersloot did some interviews claiming that he was innocent. So in November 2007, a year and a half later, Vandersloot was detained in the Netherlands, which is apparently where he's from. The Calpo brothers were detained in Aruba based on new evidence in the case, which I don't know what that was because obviously it's an open case. Mm-hmm. A month later, a judge ruled that the Calpo brothers and Vandersloot, and I keep wanting to say Vanderpump. I don't know if you watch <laughs> Vanderpump, but I keep wanting to say Vanderpump. I don't, but I know that you love it because that, like, that was something I learned about you. Like from day one, you're like, I love Stassi Schroeder. <laughs> I know. And she's coming to Atlanta and I want somebody to go with me so bad. I saw that she was coming to Atlanta because where she's going to is right next to my law school. Oh, really? Yeah. So So does that mean that you're going with me? What? It's in November, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think that's far enough in advance that I could like... (laughs) Rearrange some things? Schedule myself for that day. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about it after. Okay. Okay. So Vandersloot and the Calpo brothers were released because of a lack of evidence and the case was closed. Which I'm like, no, there's still more to be done. Why would you do that? Yeah. So on February 1st, 2008, the case was reopened. An undercover video was produced where Vandersloot said that he watched Natalie die on the beach and was lucky that they hadn't found her body yet. Vandersloot is so manipulative. He reached out to a news station and told them that he wanted to confess to them as to what really happened. Now, people were so intrigued at why, how, where, what happened to Natalie, that people were being paid to talk about the disappearance. So some ridiculous amount of money was paid to Vandersloot for his interview. And he, cl- he claimed to have sold her to sex trade for $10,000 to some random man that he had no idea of who he was or what his name was. The news station aired the interview. And right after the interview was aired, Vandersloot called up to the news station and was like, sorry, that wasn't true. I just needed some money. What an asshole. (gasps) Sorry, but what an asshole. Is it just me or should we like not give money to suspects in murder cases? I don't know. I feel like we probably shouldn't. Exactly. But I, I just don't get that. So on February 10th, 2010, Father Vandersloot dropped dead and baby Vandersloot called Beth, which is Natalie's mom, and called her attorneys and was like, hey, I know where Natalie's body is, but I need $250,000 to tell you. So ridiculous. So anyways, Beth is like, no way. That's ridiculous. You're a liar. And he's like, okay, well, then give me $25,000. I'll meet with FBI and tell you where she's buried. And then we'll all be good. And so they met up with him, FBI met up with him and was like, tell us where her body is. 
And he said that Natalie's body was buried under a house that he was doing construction on. Of course, FBI agents go out to this house. And of course, you guessed it. He's still a liar. I hate to say it, but he already did this one time for money. So Exactly. I know, like, they feel so desperate. Like, they just want to know, like, where their daughter is, where her body is, if she's really dead. So I understand why they would pay that money. But I feel like, I mean, obviously it was taking a huge risk because he had already done that one time before. Yeah, I think it was, I'm kind of caught in between like they're grasping at straws. And also I think I would have probably done the same thing, even though like I know that he's a liar. Um, But at least they didn't give him $250,000. Like, oh, yeah, that's insane. You know, I, I can imagine giving $25,000 and being like, okay, maybe there's a glimmer of hope in this. And maybe like he will give some information or maybe he had a change of heart or something. I I think the whole hindsight is 2020 thing kind of plays into that, you know? Yeah. With being like, you know, I shouldn't give him money, but I don't know. I see it. I also think that the fact that he went from $250,000 down to $25,000 that quickly, to me, that tells me that that he didn't have any information. Yeah, Yeah, and it's only for money. Because if he had actually known where her body was, that is such valuable information to her parents. I don't think he would have gone down on the amount of money that he was asking for. Exactly. Unless he unless he just needed money that bad and that's why he went down to twenty five thousand dollars. I think I think that's a a good indication that he didn't have that information anyway. Well, you're a good guesser because he hopped on a plane to Peru and gambled all the money that Beth had just given him. What this an guy ass. is playing the system. So let's talk about Peru. On May 30th, 2010, which is exactly five years from Natalie Holloway's disappearance, Stephanie Ramirez, a 21-year-old girl, meets Vandersloot in a casino. They're seen on video camera walking into Vandersloot's hotel room at around 5 o'clock a.m., and three days later, Stephanie is found dead in his hotel room, and it's registered in Vandersloot's name. Mm. He's obviously on the run, and a guard in Chile obtain Vandersloot while he was getting into a cab. He noticed him as being um, on the news and he was like, hey, that's my guy. Let me go ahead and detain him. So in the meantime, tourists find a jawbone on an Aruban beach. Forensic tests are done and it seems to belong to a young girl around Natalie's age. As you can imagine, media went wild. And I actually remember that moment when they found that. They thought this might bring some closure to Natalie's family and provide some answers, but dental records were released, making the jawbone not Natalie's. On January 11, 2011, Vandersloot pleaded guilty to murdering Stephanie and is serving 28 years at this current time. So in January of 2012, Natalie was presumed dead by the court. Um, Natalie's dad actually hired a private detective and a man by the name of Gabriel claims that he knew exactly what happened to Natalie. Now, all of this aired on Oxygen Investigative Series, like I said in the beginning. Um, I don't think I've watched that. I don't think I I probably should have. But Gabriel claims that his roommate, John, was best friends with Vandersloot and claimed that he knew what happened. That the night that Natalie went missing, Vandersloot gave her roofies and it killed her. And so his dad buried her in the desert, like police have claimed really all this time. In 2010, Vandersloot paid John to dig up her body and toss it into the ocean so nobody would find it. During that time, he was being convicted of Stephanie's murder. And so he was like, there's all this media attention. Like, let's go ahead and get rid of her body and, you know, just be done with it. So there isn't any recording or video of Vandersloot saying this. So this could all be made up for, again, media attention like most of his friends and him like to do. So Gabriel took John to a hotel in New Orleans and tried to record him saying that he helped Vandersloot with Natalie's body. But apparently this guy is bananas and is just all over the place and never said that story again. Great. So the sad part is Natalie and her body still haven't been found. It's still an open case. And there's so many scenarios that could be possibilities that and Vandersloot is still in prison for Stephanie's murder. It's such a tragic story. And I wish the family had some closure, but they just don't. 
a few things that really bother me is the whole money thing to reveal of what happened to Natalie. Like, like you said, that's just so insane that somebody would do that. And the fact that that's such a bold statement, like, why wouldn't he lie about where Natalie is? And I think he really had something to do with it. I just don't know if there will ever be like a scenario where he gets charged for that, you know? Yeah. Unless there's more concrete evidence. So I don't know. One thing that, and I mean, maybe this is just me not knowing these things. Cause again, didn't go to med school, went to law school, but is it possible to overdose on roofies? I don't really know. I don't know. What, and when I was what, doing some research, that's what they said they thought happened. But I don't know if that's possible. Maybe he, he could have given her something else along with that that would make her like that. I don't know. Or or maybe he, I don't know. But because to me, it seems like, I mean, with the number of people who are roofied just all the time, you know, to me, I feel like we would have heard more about roofie overdoses because I mean, I, like, I hate to say that it's a common thing, but it kind of is like, it's an yeah, issue it that is. everyone worries about when they go out. So, or when they just meet new people. And so I feel like at some point, some horrible serial rapist would have accidentally put too much in someone's drink or something. And then we would have heard about a roofie overdose or something like that. So yeah. I don't know. But if anyone, if any of our listeners um, know, educate us, please. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. Know. And, it, you know, it could be the scenario where it actually wasn't a roofie. It could have been something else that he, um, I don't know, maybe injected her with or I don't know. So it could have been something else. Shoot, I had something that I was going to say. And then, oh, oh shit, another sorry. thing. <laughs> No, it's okay. Another thing that I think of is in his original statement to police, he said that he wanted to have sex with her. So I wonder if maybe she declined his advances and was like, no, and he got mad and killed her that way, you know, because she didn't she didn't want to have sex with him. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's just so many possibilities. And I think that DJ guy knows more than he says that he knows because he was found to be at the bar the Carlos and I mean, Charlie and Carlos's with Natalie and nothing has really come up of that. Like, did he have something to do with it? And police just aren't a room police just aren't looking too much into it. I mean, I'm sure they've questioned him, but I just still think that he has something to do with it. Why would he change his story so many times? And I definitely think the brothers have something to do with it. But other than that, it's such like a tragedy that she's just nowhere to be found. There's no closure. There's nothing. It's so sad. I can imagine that happening to any one of my friends or any, even me. Could have happened to any of us. A little amount of alcohol, like, makes you trust people so much more than you would on a regular basis without alcohol. Yeah, I think one thing that that I'm stuck on is, like, why did she go with them in the first place? Like, what did they say to her to get her to go with them? Yeah, and... I still think maybe a little bit of alcohol is, like, involved in that, which I know there are pictures of, like, when Natalie was last seen and you she has a drink in her hand at um, Charlie and Carlos's. I just think that maybe – I think she met them at the beginning of the week and kind of, like, gained their trust – or she gained – they gained her trust um, throughout the whole entire stay in Aruba. So I can see, like, if you met somebody and, like, you were hanging out with them all week and you're like, oh, yeah, these people are really nice. And then a little bit of alcohol and you're like, okay, I'll get in the car with them. They're going to take me to my hotel. Yeah. Like, oh, I've known these guys for a couple of days. Like, we're fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just really, really disturbing to me. And I just hope that, like, maybe in the next few years, there's some information that comes up about her disappearance because it's just horrible that the family doesn't have closure, like I said. Yeah. So that is the disappearance and murder of Natalie Holloway. Good job. That's a Thank tough you. one. It was so tough. I was like, this is so sad. Yeah. Okay. Girl time. I'm ready for girl time. Okay. Girl time is pretty short this week. I'm not going to lie. Um, That's okay. It's still girl but, time. But I think that there's a pretty good like message I guess I don't know do you have a moment to talk about our lord and savior Jason Momoa 
Oh my god. Sure. <laughs> okay. Y'all. But you I know that Jason I know nothing. I know nothing about him. So I'd like for you to inform me. I know that okay. he's on the Game of Thrones and that's it. Oh my gosh, yes he and is. And I know that he shaved his beard recently. Did he shave his beard? Yes he did. Okay, that's all I know. He looked good too. But Okay, so I have a super huge crush on Jason Momoa for our listeners that don't know. If you do know me, you're already aware of this. I'm pretty sure I told Ansley on day one, I was like, I'm in love with Jason Momoa. So, and chief executive husband Casey is aware of this and supports me. Um, so, yeah. But, okay. So, recently, Jason was on vacation in Europe with his wife he's married to lisa bonet i don't know if you guys don't know who that is she was married to lenny kravitz um, no idea and zoe kravitz is her daughter with lenny so and then he has um two children with lisa and they are lola and nakoa wolf so he has a name nakoa yeah nakoa wolf i like that yep and um so he has a son and a daughter with lisa and they were in Venice at the pool, just hanging out and having a good time. And this, somebody took a picture of Jason shirtless, which like, thank you, but <laughs> thank you so much. You're doing God's work. <laughs> but um, it was a shirtless photo that surfaced and people started losing their minds and not in a good way not in the way that they should have so he normally what well, I say normally not normally when he's filming he usually is like freaking ripped like super defined abs really big muscles like because he plays a superhero like he's Aquaman so Aquaman is supposed to be like really muscular and like sexy as hell anyway <laughs> but so um so when he's filming obviously he's doing different workouts than he normally is and he's like uh, probably on a specific diet that he sticks to so his body is definitely not exactly the same when he's not filming because why would you keep that up if you're not getting paid to do it that's insane and so exactly if y'all look at this picture it is so insane, the things that people are saying about it. So let me just pull it up kind of for my own enjoyment, but also just so I can accurately describe it. <laughs> <laughs> so he still is muscular. He is still in shape. He still has abs kind of like, they're just not super defined. His stomach is still toned and he still has like, like you can see like like the cut of his muscles still it's insane people are saying things online like what happened to his abs and saying that he has a dad bod and i'm like bro <laughs> oh my gosh well people on dad the internet bods, are dad bods yeah. don't look like that <laughs> yeah people on the internet are awful i mean we've seen it you've seen it i mean even to us you know so I can only imagine like living in the spotlight that big, like the, any amount of change in your body or how normally people see you on TV, they're going to go insane. So I can imagine. And then someone else said, this is what it looks like when he lets himself go. Okay. I let myself go after college and I wish that is what had happened to me when I decided to let myself go. I know people are so mean. Anyway, so I just saw this and I was so shocked by it. I mean, from a completely objective standpoint, even though like I adore Jason Momoa and I think he is so handsome, just if I took a step back and didn't even think about the fact that I think he is so super hot, from a completely objective standpoint, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that it happens to anybody, obviously. But that's kind of why I wanted to share this because Jason Momoa, who was like super cute and in really good shape, and people are still saying these horrible things about him online. And it's just like people are never going to be happy. They're going to continue to body shame and every other kind of shame that they can because they're like miserable 
being themselves and that's their own personal problems that they need to work on. But if any of our listeners, and I struggle with this, if any of our listeners are having a difficult time with the way you look and the way you feel about how you look and, and how you just feel in general, just don't because, because people are always going to have something to say. And those people should not ever have an opinion that makes you feel any kind of way unless it is good about yourself exactly I mean everybody everybody has their own opinions like you said but their opinions about you are irrelevant like you know yourself and you know like how you are and I don't know I know it's so common and nowadays for people yep that was a bark (laughs) oh my god I know it's so common nowadays for people to have an opinion on changes in your body or whatever. It's just, it's none of their business. It doesn't matter. It has, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like what you wear and how you do your hair and your makeup and how you conduct yourself. Like that is your business. Do not let anybody take any of that away from you. And if you have someone in your life that is making you feel worse about yourself in any way, yep. Cut, get cut, rid of them. Out. Goodbye. Out, Canceled. Bye. Done. Can't sit with us. They gotta go. See ya. You only, never. You only need to surround yourself with your personal cheerleaders. Like my closest friends, they're commenting on my stuff. I'm commenting on their stuff. Like, yes, bitch, you look so hot. This is cute. Love your hair yes. like this. Oh my gosh, that cut crease is sickening. Like, you know what I mean? Those are the people you need to surround yourself with. Do not let these negative ass people in your life ever. And if they are in your life, it's time to say goodbye. Sorry, we don't have time for it. Life is short. They got to go. I'm snapping. I'm snapping. I'm getting hyped, but it's because I've had to cut people out of my life like this. So I feel some type of way about it. And also I'm sick and tired of people body shaming people. Like it's not your body. Your opinion doesn't matter. Exactly. Do what you want with your body. Like they don't. I'm done yelling. Oh my God. It's okay. I promise. I felt that. I felt that. Good. Oh my goodness. I I love it. On the same note. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I didn't even think about talking about this. On The Bachelorette. If you haven't seen it yet, you might want to skip over this. But Fantasy Suites just happened. Did you watch it, Ansley? Yes, I did. And I feel some type of way about it. Ooh. Oh, I feel some type of way about Luke shaming Hannah. Yes, Luke. What does it matter? What does it matter? What does it matter? That's Hannah's life and not yours. You look exactly. the way that you want to live and let Hannah the way that she wants to live and quit freaking judging her for it. She's allowed exactly. to do it. If she wants to sleep with 10 people, let her sleep with 10 people. That's her. Yeah. So let me tell the listeners that don't listen to The Bachelorette exactly what happened. So fantasy suites are where The Bachelor or Bachelorette has a chance to spend the night in the same room as the men or women that they're dating. Okay. So this is the first time and only time that this happens throughout the season. And a lot of times they end up having sex. It's entirely their choice. Hannah chose to sleep with like one or two of the guys, right? Because she didn't sleep with Tyler, which I was like, girl, that oh, was Tyler. Tyler. I don't know about all that, but okay. And um, because Tyler is very good looking. Um, and he's he is such a warrior for women, and oh my gosh, he's all around great dude. Like such a good dude. I'm gonna be upset if if she doesn't choose him. I'm just saying. I don't think she's going to, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, Luke P was the last guy for fantasies, fantasy, for fantasy suites. And they're talking and he kind of said to her, well, if you've slept with any of these guys, that's really going to like do it for me. Like that's going to be the, the end of me being here. And he said, he said something and he was like, you owe it to me. And she was like, sorry, I don't owe you anything. Yeah. She said, I don't owe you anything at this point. You are not my husband. My husband would never say anything to me like that. And she basically told him that she did have sex with the other guys, not all of them, but the ones that she chose to have sex with, which is entirely her decision. And he was like, just saying horrible things to her because 
his whole thing this entire time has been that he's found God while he was in the shower and all this other stuff and how how she should conduct herself to fit how he thinks you should because of the Bible. Okay. And if you're like that, if, the, if you want to conduct your life like that because of your religion, totally fine. Do not tell someone else to do what you're doing just because that's what you think is right based on your religion. Hannah even told him, she was like, me and my God, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Me and Jesus are fine. She was like, we're great. She said, he knows my heart. And like, I'm not trying to get all religious, but this is just a conversation they were having because Luke forced a religious conversation to happen. She's like, he knows my heart. He knows my light. I am light. And I was like, girl, that's the new mantra. I am light. I was like, go ahead and be light, sis. Yeah. And I hope that all of our listeners feel like they are light too. Yeah, and can exactly. Say, and can confidently say, I am light. Like, I just, I loved that so much. And that that was the message that came from Luke blood shaming on national television. Ugh. Like, I don't know. All the shaming just has got to stop. It's got to go. I do like it. that religion was brought into this season, though, and that she was able to, like, talk about it and, like, say, like, like you said, me and my God are good. Like, we, we know each other and it doesn't concern any of you or any yeah. of Luke P. So I liked how that was brought in there and she was able to be like, you're judging me and like, you should not be judging me. Yeah. So I don't know from Jay Samaboa to Hannah freaking B y'all spread your light people spread your yeah. light, be light, spread your light and don't let anybody talk shit. Exactly. So I love that. Thanks for that girl time. That was a good pick me up. Yeah. I got a little hype. Like, yeah, I, like I liked got it. out of breath. I was so hype. I liked it. I really liked it. I should work out some more. Not because of body shamers, though, but because I lose my breath quickly. Mental. (laughs) Um, Okay. Come see us in Atlanta. I want to see you guys. I want to meet you guys. I got some new little merch that I'm not giving out until unless you come to the meetup. So if you want some free merch, freaking come. And I think you have something to say, Brittany. Oh, I do. If you like us, leave a rating. If you love us, leave a review. And if you hate us, leave us alone. Booyah. Spreading that light right there. Go ahead. I am light. I am light. I am light. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you guys later um, next week on episode 22. And I heard there's going to be a bonus episode. What? What? Woo!